Sports Clips. Welcome to Sports Clips and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husong and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 86 of Sports Clicks and Politics. I am Sean Hannon, joined as always by Ben Husung, the third week in a row remotely uh, due to my uh, present vagabond statuses of uh, traveling around here. Uh, thank you, Mr. Husung, for joining us. Thank you all at home for joining us, wherever you are listening to us. We thank you for joining us. Uh, Mr. Husung, how was your weekend? It's been a great weekend. Got my parents in town visiting from Tennessee. Uh, staying busy around the house, enjoying their company for a couple of days before they get to flee the People's Republic of New York and return to the South. Um, but other than that, it's been great. How about you? How was your weekend? Weekend was good. Uh, I just briefly mentioned to you, I went to go see a Pink Floyd laser light show. That was a first time experience for me. I guess they've been doing this, they said 36 years, so they've been around a long time, but that was pretty quite the experience. They no masks uh, where I watched the show, but glasses were required to enjoy the show. Mr. Hughes song, a little three D. Did the glasses add to the experience? They were like uh, prism kind of styled glasses, three D for uh, some of the laser light show, and then the second half uh, was uh, more prism effect, where it kind of got like multiple views of the same image but different in in a way. It was interesting. The music was great, obviously. So. All in all, uh, I've had a, a successful multiple days in a row that I'll call a big long weekend that have gone uh, quite spectacularly, actually. So thank you for asking. Let's, all right, want to do uh, anything before we get to the topics, we should remind everybody to uh, hit that like button, rumbles, all that stuff, uh, share the video. Um, this will be the last, I mentioned this, uh, re this is remote, this will be the last remote uh, show. We, there will be no show next Monday as I will be traveling back to the aforementioned uh, New York State. Uh, not that day, but I'll be back uh, for in studio for the following Monday, uh, whatever that is, March. I forgot what the date is. But anyway, we're going to skip a week. Next week, next Monday, no show. So reminders, no show next Monday. We'll try to make this one uh, last as uh, impactful for good as uh, two shows anyway. So Let's go to the first topic of the uh, day here. I thought maybe we were avoided uh, World War III a little bit, Mr. Hughesong, but did you see that uh, Ukraine adopted Bitcoin as legal tender and uh, now we have this possibility of uh, World War III all over again? Isn't that fun? There's no oil in the Ukraine, right? Are you asking me to be a geologist? I'm just asking because I feel like if they decide to go with uh, cryptocurrency as currency and then there's also oil, if they take that off the reserve standard of the dollar, we might be the ones invading Ukraine. We might suddenly team up with Russia. That would be that'd be troubling. That'd be t well, well, let's not let's not pick sides. I think that we are being somewhat coerced into picking sides. Um but I, I also tend to think that them embracing cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically is wonderful. I'm, I'm all for more people doing this. I know that that's somewhat um, 
somewhat antithetical to the American plan of making everybody completely dependent on our dollar, and that's the way we keep this empire running. I I just like crypto, and I understand that there's probably going to be some negative ramifications, but I, I'm I'm pro freedom pretty much across the board, and I think cryptocurrency, and I get there's huge swings, and that makes it a bad store of value, but. I don't know how to break it to you guys. The same thing was true about the U.S. dollar when we got started with it. The same thing of any currency when it's in its infancy is it's going to have huge swings. And I hope that it develops into a legitimate store of value and a legitimate currency that can be used. It's certainly not a guarantee that that will happen. But I like the momentum and anything that we can do to trend in that direction. I'm going to call a net win. Uh, Sean, do you think the cryptocurrency acceptance by the Ukraine will suddenly uh, change any of the saber rattling that we're hearing across the D.C. and across the Potomac? Well, I don't know that we want to get into the whole Ukraine-Russia thing right here, the, the fake war. Did you? We can cover the one thing. Did you? Did you see where you know they had, they announced the attack was going to be February sixteenth, and then there were, then the attack came, nothing happened, and they were like, "Well, see, it worked." We called them out, and therefore they didn't attack us. So now, you know, our we we won them. We we won dumped them by basically just announcing that they were going to attack us. So is that what wars have come to? World wars are just going to be like bluffs on Twitter. Well, maybe. I mean, I think it's entirely possible. Not only that, but we called out that they were going to attempt a false flag to fake an attack against the Russian army and blame it on the Ukrainians. And they even produced the evidence to support this, which was the word of the spokesperson for the Department of Defense. That was the extent of the evidence. But according to that spokesperson, that is sufficient evidence that we should all just believe it. So I guess here's the thing. I'm going to tell you flat out, Sean plans on robbing a bank as soon as he gets back to New York. But I'm going to talk him out of it in the meantime, and I'm going to try to talk him off the ledge. And assuming he does not actually rob this bank or any bank at any point on that exact day, I'm going to go ahead and just say it was because of my negotiation skills and what choice do you all have but to believe me? I mean, I think you'd be, I think you are now uh, due for some kind of reward from that bank. So just pick it out. So thank you for, thank, thank you. you. I agree. Thank you for saving us all. All right, let's talk to, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I will say on the Bitcoin thing. So this is the second country that has said they're, I don't know when exactly when Ukraine is actually going to adopt Bitcoin in the legal sense. Uh, like El Salvador, you know, they announced it before they actually kind of made all the, uh, the mechanics behind the scene uh, legit. But I, I don't know if you noticed that I think there's now been three states that have introduced bills to legalize tender. We mentioned Arizona when they did it a few months ago. And I believe Illinois and California, both have also, uh, California was a bipartisan bill too. So Bitcoin is a bipartisan issue in California apparently. But all of those bills, and I don't know any kind of the success rate or if any of these things actually have any go anywhere or they're just basically political ploys to get Bitcoin donors to donate to these campaigns. But they're basically bills trying to legitimize Bitcoin as a way of, you know, I said legal tender within the state so that can basically be, it would eventually be regulated as, as such. So I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, Ukraine right in the middle of a bunch of other stuff decides to adopt Bitcoin. So I don't know. I figured we'd bring that to you guys' attention. You guys might have noticed we skipped over sports. We didn't even bring it up. So we have no sports really to talk about. No. Okay. Um, all right. Anything else on the Ukraine, the Bitcoin, uh, anything like there? Bitcoin's been on a crazy little roller coaster price. Uh, crypto in general has. So the only thing that I would say is, I just want to add this in about Russia. 
um, when they put out on Twitter, like their official State Department Twitter account wrote, could the U.S. media please tell us all the dates they have listed for Russian invasion so we can plan our diplomats' travel and vacation schedules accordingly? And I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever read. Like, what clown world are we living in where this is what is happening? I, I don't have an answer other than I'm not shocked by it and I thought it was funny because I'm generally like, I'm just done at this point, so I'm here for the laughs, I guess. And that was funny, objectively speaking. Um, as for the Bitcoin side of it, I think, again, the, the more the better. But I know for a fact that the U.S. government is not going to be a fan of the Ukraine accepting Bitcoin as currency at all. I echo those sentiments. So, yeah, pretty good. All right. Let's talk about something that's... Uh, it, if, if, if it's not funny... I mean, you have to laugh, right? So let's first, do you guys know who Jean-Luc Brunel is? We've brought him up here actually on the show uh, in the past. Um, he is a former, I've seen him described as a pimp, if you will, for uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and the like. Uh, but he was a, he owned a modeling agency, uh, I believe in France, where he was found dead, Mr. Hughesong, from an apparent hanging or quote unquote in the urban dictionary is going to have a Epstein is going to be the new basically translation of hanging is going to turn into Epstein. Uh, so Jean-Luc Brunel was Epstein in a jail cell in France. Mr. Hughesong, would you be shocked if I told you that it was not on video? <sighs> I was, it's not possible. I read the thing on whatever news source it was on Twitter that said breaking news. The authorities are alleging that the security camera on the jail cell was not working at the time of the hanging. And all I can think is like, this has to be a parody news account. Like it has to be a joke. This has to be like the onion or the Babylon B because there's no possible way another person in this ring hung himself in air quotes in a jail cell without a security camera on him. It's not possible that this happened again john please tell me it's not actually possible and there's no chance that this is on video somewhere correct please uh no video mr Hugh uh we were told that the uh revolution will not be televised so this is basically again I, I said it was you have to laugh at it because if you don't you literally just you you could stew yourself to, to death at this point i mean it's beyond ridiculous um these are you know and just a reminder, you know, I bring up the photo again here of Jean-Luc Brunel with Glenn Maxwell. Glenn Maxwell sitting in a jail cell as we speak right here, Mr. Hughes. Maybe we should try to get her on the show before she uh, decides to go hang out in her jail cell from the bedpost. I don't know. Like this, again, this is, we've said we're never going to know how deep it goes. And these are the reasons why, right? And another reason why, and I'll let you tap on this one and uh, finish up with Jean-Luc Brunel, but... Prince Andrew has settled his lawsuit with Virginia Jaffray, uh, which was, I think, a civil suit uh, filed here in New York. Um, undisclosed amounts, I'm guessing a lot. Uh, hopefully she got the crown uh, in that negotiation. I don't, again, I, I, I'm glad that she has been compensated. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like the settlement only further diminishes the idea that we'll ever actually really know what kind of what happened in this whole thing. And I find that more than disturbing. So let me go on record right now. Uh, I have it on good authority 
that Ghislaine Maxwell donated money to the Ottawa Freedom Truckers. So we need to look into her in great depth to make sure that we know all of her contacts and who else she may have used to raise funds for these dangerous truckers and occupiers in the great north. I second that notion. That aside. What's that? I said I second that. All right. So we're in agreement. We have to find out and get to the, the basis of this because I she didn't raise that money herself. She got it from some other people. So we need to look into contacts. We need to make sure cameras are on her nonstop to ensure that she is brought to justice for donating money to those truckers. Number two, as for the settlement by Prince Andrew, I have one very simple and straightforward question. Understanding that this is not terribly shocking, it was probably always going to come to this, and we've talked about it before. But here's the question. Where is the money for the settlement actually coming from? Do you have an answer for that? Do you know where this money is actually coming from that he's paying? No clue. Why do you? I mean, my understanding is the royals generally get their money from the country of England, which comes from the taxes, fees, and other things. I'm sure they have some of their own wealth still from the years of pillaging and hostile takeovers of, you know, other countries and uh, filling the coffers with uh, with wars with France back and forth. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that in some shape, way, or form, the English taxpayer just paid for Andrew, uh, for Prince Andrew's sins. And I, I have to imagine that wouldn't sit well with too many people. And there should be much more coverage and much more, much more outrage, which apparently, and obviously, there will be no coverage by the media and no in-depth research into... Hey, where did they come up with this? Because it had to be an ungodly sum of money that they're paying her to go away because she was out of it. Yeah. So they didn't get off on 10 mil. They, this is an ungodly sum of yeah, money. Yeah, and just real quickly. So I feel like I'm kind of putting some of this timeline in my head as we speak here. So I, mean, I could be wrong. But obviously we just got word maybe like a week ago or so where he was stripped of all of his whatnot, you know, all of his pageantry or whatever they call it over there in the uh, Royal Airness. Um but there was also a release of an email copy f- with a uh, back and forth, basically with Ghislaine confirming that picture, the infamous now picture of Prince Andrew with his hand around uh, the waist of Virginia Joffrey, basically confirming that it was real. Because if you remember, Ghislaine Max was also in the background of that picture. So basically, somebody was asking confirmation of that picture if, in fact, all this stuff came to light over the last couple of weeks, and obviously this settlement wasn't something they probably whipped up overnight. This has probably been in the works here. I'm guessing all these were, I mean, him stripping of those titles was just part of this agreement. I'm guessing that they're playing along, and you're probably right that the the, the royal palace is paying off the bill for one of the most disgusting people on the planet. So uh, it's, it's, it's a story that, again, will never get as, never get its full, you know, it'll never be, have its full, full day, I guess. It's sad. So here's what I find ultimately so so troubling about all of these different um, allegations and Epstein's and hangings and, and everything else. This isn't some third world banana republic. This is not some third world country where we expect this. Like, keep in mind that Jeffrey Epstein slash Ghislaine Maxwell, and I might have those names in the wrong order. It very well may have been Maxwell was leading and Epstein was was the lieutenant, but one way or another. That ring of people involving everybody else, simply put, was at the very bare minimum allowed to go on 
despite our intelligence agencies and government knowing about it. Like our CIA knew that this was happening and is a reasonable argument were the ones that were funding it. It was either the CIA or it was Mossad. It, one way or another, I shouldn't say that we know that for sure. God forbid I slander any of these fine agencies. Um, overwhelming evidence would indicate, hey, some intelligence agency, almost certainly either CIA or Mossad, or both, were funding these people and covering their trails and making sure they did not get caught. And now, when they did actually had to pay some type of recompense now it comes out that they're getting just hanged in jail cells while security cameras are taken out and security guards fall asleep and then get houses in long island like guys this is crazy and we don't have a media that will report one thing on it so now let's tie it back in when i see what goes on in russia and ukraine and i'm looking around like well the usa has to stand up for what's good and i'm looking out going maybe we should get our own house in order like Maybe the fact that this is happening in England, that this is happening in America, that this is happening in France should all give pause to who we have in charge right now. Maybe there's a reason that the world is sort of skeptical, and maybe we should all be a little more skeptical of the people running the show. I mean, you're talking about a government and the people involved that allowed a child sex honeypot ring to exist for 20 plus years and encouraged it and funded it with our tax dollars. You think they're above pretending to start a war to get a jump in the poll? I, I don't. I'm not telling you it happened, but let's be real about who these people are. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever that this is what they did. So I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what conclusions to draw from that. I just know this was allowed to happen for so long and we knew about it and not only knew about it, we covered it up. So I guess here's my final thought on this Prince Andrew situation. How confident can you and I be that the money to pay the settlement didn't actually come from CIA or Mossad? Oh, there's zero chance. I mean, even if it did, I mean, they, it all comes out of thin air for the most, for these people at this level anyway. So, I mean, they they can, they literally can have as much money as they want. So it's beyond a joke. All right. Let's turn on to something more local, uh, jokish. Uh, the Cuomo brothers. Uh, so more fallout at CNN. We have uh, um, Allison Gullist, I think is her name is pronounced. Do you, have you ever heard it pronounced? I haven't pr heard it pronounced, but Allison Gullist, uh, who, if you guys don't know, was the I think like the head of communications or some like vice president head of communications under C in CNN under uh, Jeff Sucker's uh, rule. There, she also served at a similar role at uh, NBC when he was there. Uh, they're, they've been working together for decades. And it also apparently they've been dating together for decades. Uh, so says uh, many uh, uh, people that work with them. But anyway, so she was, she was forced to resign. Uh, she claimed it as a retaliation uh, against her. Uh, but it turns out that she and Andrew Cuomo, who she used to work for uh, back for uh, 2012 to 2013. So conveniently for our governor, he had somebody on the inside at CNN who he was being able to basically manipulate interview questions and answers through uh, making sure that he got uh, as quality and as uh, puffy as airtime as possible. So she was forced to resign. Uh, this is all coming basically through an investigation of the handling of Chris Cuomo firing. And obviously it's turning out that basically CNN is just burning to the ground at this point. So um, I don't know. What, what, what do you think about the... Uh, continued fallout it doesn't seem like this is the end by any means because 
I don't know. It seems like this is, we're just scratching some of the surface on some of this stuff, but lots of juicy stuff there at CNN. I think I might've said this before, but how the hell did Jeffrey Tubin become the, like the, the, the face of the franchise uh, of respectability uh, at CNN? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Keep away from the one-eyed jokes. I, sometimes the jokes write themselves. Um, Jeffrey Tubin being your, your land of respectability, God help us all. Um, I, listen, the, the getting caught with a little self-love on a Zoom business call isn't even the low point of this man's career from a moral standpoint. Let's, let's just cover that to begin with. Um, as far as CNN, I guess my overall instinctual reaction is let it burn. Don't don't try to stop it. Don't call the fire department. Don't throw any water on it. Let it burn to the ground. I don't care. They earned it. They deserve every single thing that comes with it. These these elitist corporate yahoos that want to come out and pontificate day and night about the lack of integrity of Trump supporters and Bernie supporters and about these idiots in the South and these these people on the Internet who believe these crazy conspiracy theories and what a danger they are to all of us. And how could you not trust us and you trust the Joe Rogan experience? How? Not all opinions are created equal. You guys have the nerve to pontificate to anyone, anyone, about a moral high ground? Oh, God, get bent. Just go away. You don't deserve the airtime that you occupy. And I know somebody's going to buy it up and try to salvage the network. I, honest to God, hope they don't. I hope it burns to the ground. Figuratively, not literally. I'm not advocating arson, just so we're all clear here. I just want this place to collapse upon itself because it's what it deserves. Am I wrong in that? Uh, no. I, 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 I group the media in with our uh, governments and politicians and that structure in general and maybe some of the corporate overlay of all that and believe, fully believe that collapse is the only way out. So I'd, you know, I'd like it to be a peaceful collapse where things just shake themselves out and the good pieces are gobbled up by the people who have good intentions, good resources, and things happen the way they happen. Who knows how it's going to unfold, but I do believe that there is no way to manage ourselves out of this, that there has to be, there's no, there's no, there's no controlled demolition here. It's, it's basically, we're in free fall already and it's just a question of when we bounce. I think that that's right. And again, I, what is there to salvage about this? This is, I, I don't, I'm not predicting this at this point. I'm not going to be shocked if 30 years from now, there is no corporate news stations the way there is right now. Because as time goes on, they all they do, and I'm not excluding any of them, please understand, Fox News, OAN, NBC, ABC, CBS, MNBC, and especially CNN. All they do, time and time again, is reinforce the notion that you should not trust them that the narrative is more important than the truth, that supporting a, being on the right side of something is more important than objective truth. It's not okay, like, you can't even compliment Donald Trump's presidency on some prison reform that was done. I feel like that's something everybody could kind of get behind, especially if you happen to be a little more left-leaning. It's good, we don't want people in prison forever for marijuana possession, that's crazy. And they couldn't compliment him on that. So this tells me very clearly, you want me to trust you because you have a health desk and you have a, a referral desk and all these researchers and fact checkers. The fact that you're still wrong so often and always in the same direction, 
there's only one logical conclusion to draw. It's it's because it's not the priority. It's not that you're trying to be wrong. It's just being honest is less of an objective than pushing your view on other people. And that's why you can't get a million people out of a country of 333 million people. You can't get a million to watch one of your shows. That's why. It's because we know you're lying. And there's no benefit to be gained by watching your show. I can literally just hit the highlight and I know everything you're going to say after that because you have no you have no intent on getting to the truth. You have no desire to be accurate. You want to be you want to be like the cheerleader. I, I'm trying to think of the right way of saying this, but your your biggest thing is you're identifying as I see I think this so I'm a good guy. Like but but it's not true in this case, but I'm still on this side and you're dangerously spreading misinformation. Like, no, it's it's true. I'm sorry if it's inconvenient and hurtful, but it's still true. Like, the, Joe Biden is not a good human being. He he sucks. I, like, you can vote for him. God, Donald Trump's a shitty human being too. I'm not picking sides here. Like, they suck. They're bad people. Why do you keep like keep going to bat for him? Like, oh, you're dangerously spreading misinformation. What if you get Trump elected? I don't know. What if you get Biden elected? It's just as bad. So I I don't know what to do with this, and I hate them all. I hope they all do go the way of the dodo, and that we can move on. Too much more things like talking points, like Jimmy Dore, like all of these independent news organizations that are propping up. And even if they're wrong, you at least know you're getting their best effort at truth. And yes, they all have a bias. They all have a slant. They all have their own views on it. That's fine. We can accept that. What I want to know is that you're trying to be objective and true. You're never going to hit true objectivity. I just want to know that you're trying. And that's, I think, what most of us want. And all of the legacy media has done a terrific job of completely demonstrating that is of no interest to them. That's where I'm at. Yeah. <clears throat> and like I said, and they leave, you know, as Jimmy Dora likes to say, they leave the lane wide open for people who are trying to do that like we are. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. Like I said, I, the sooner the better, but I do believe the end of what we did, what we know or have known as corporate media, legacy media, mainstream media, whatever label you want to give it, is in the middle of a collapse and the shakeup is happening as we just can't see it right now. But the, 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 like you point, you, I think you said talking points, but I think you meant breaking points, but breaking points, um, the Jimmy Dore show, the Tim Pool show, um, just any of these independent, like I said, I think we can bring this back to Joe Rogan a little bit. He does you know, similar things in a sense that he's not trying to be right. He's trying to just let people kind of figure stuff out, right? And there's never any of that in our in our mainstream news. They're basically dictating to you at all turns. So I don't know. I, I think we do, and largely what we do here is, is to try to run a, again, uh, against that idea that this corporate press is, is, is dictating to people. So hopefully the sooner the better. Anyway, um, let's keep it in New York though, Mr. Hugh Song, and touch on one of your, uh, uh, or our favorite, uh, uh, Adolf Hochul uh, has lifted the New York State requirement of a booster for healthcare workers. I'm not sure if this was a joint decision. I'm sure it probably came across from the Department of Health, but I'm sure this is a Hochul decision. Um, so no more booster requirement for healthcare workers here in New York State. Is it over? Is this the end? No. No, it's, um, what was that movie? Assault on Precinct 13. Lawrence Fishburne, Ethan Hawke, and it's, uh, they, they have to do it, and this is a great line. It's like, our shit's on pause, and that's all this is. Let's be clear. We're on pause, and here's the thing. Yeah, it's great that this is lifted. It's still not lifted at schools, and they're still putting in all these rules and all these, uh, not quite laws, but 
just rules from the various executive agencies to make sure they continue to have this power in the future. Uh, they shouldn't, but that's what they're doing. So no, they're, they're not reserving all of these powers so they can never use them again. That, that's not what these people do. And I, here's my question for you. How bad must the uh, acceptance have been amongst the healthcare workers? Because they did the first one knowing they were going to lose 15% of them, and they didn't, they didn't hesitate. How many were they going to lose this time who were just going to flat out refuse to get the booster? Well, it wouldn't have taken that big a percentage as the first time to make as big of impact this time, right? Because they've already lost that 15% off the top. So even if it was an, another 5% of that original total, I mean, that could have been devastating. I mean, they're, they're barely keeping it together now. So, um, you know, I don't know if you remember here, I think they still have National Guard workers working in our hospitals. Is that true? I feel like that's still going on here. So um, I feel like Hochul was talking about you know, I want to say, quote unquote, coaching up an additional wave of uh, or another wave of uh, National Guards people to be more uh, health trained or something. I think that's still a thing here. So clearly our healthcare workers across the state are strapped and stretched thin. And any, you know, culling of that herd would have been devastating. And there's just no way they could do it. So you're right. I do think this is a pause, but I do think it's the end of this at least wave because they can't go back now right i mean there's no they, they've basically outed themselves as okay we're in a position where we can't enforce this anymore because they have won right the people who have pushed back have pushed back hard enough to the point this is as hard as they can push and we have found the line that they cannot get this booster at least and maintain any kind of level of credibility within the the industry so i do think it's a huge win i do think it's kind of a i mean if it's a pause i guess it's a comma um but it's 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 a it's a it's a notable distinction in the COVID this, these last two two and a half years, I guess, or whatever it turned out to be. I feel like the New York not enforcing the booster on the healthcare workers is the the we're on the other side. So, I got listen in full disclosure. I'm married to a nurse. I was raised by a nurse practitioner, so I I might be a little bit. Uh, lack some objectivity in this regard. But I think over the last two years, the, the question I keep revi revisiting in my mind is how utterly insulting and how little do these people think of nurses? Number one, that you can't be trusted to make your own healthcare decisions to even make this vaccine mandate in the first place, despite ample evidence of natural occurring immunity when you get the virus, which almost all of them were exposed to by working in hospitals for the previous two years. That's number one. That's just insulting. Like, you're not smart enough to make your healthcare decisions. You need us to make it for you. You're just a nurse. You don't, you don't understand how this all works. Like, that's number one, insulting beyond belief. Number two is the idea that you could take an average National Guardsman, even if they're a medic, and train them on everything that's required to be known by a registered nurse, a CPN, LPN, anything like that. You have to go to school. RN's a four-year degree in this state. Like, the idea that you can train them up in a matter of weeks and you will be sufficient to replace a registered nurse with experience. How little do you think of these people in this role? How unappreciated can this, this career possibly get? That you are under the impression, and I mean no disrespect to all you fine National Guardsmen out there, God bless you. Let's be frank, unless you have civilian training as an RN, this ain't your job. Sorry, you're going to go learn and you're not going to be as good as them. My apologies, but that's reality. 
And the idea that these politicians and even these medical professionals in the health department and everywhere else think that it could be so easily replaced is the height of arrogance, as far as I can see it, of you don't understand how important these people are to the healthcare system overall. I would be terrified to go to a hospital for any reason right now, especially in this state. I would be terrified because you're you're not getting the people that are optimal for your benefit. You're getting replacements. Don't get me wrong, the nurses at state are probably still good, but there's not enough of them and now they're stretched too thin. So now to combat that, we don't get any acknowledgement that we were incorrect and now we know natural immunity is really strong, so we're gonna let these nurses with all the experience come back. No, 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 no. We can't let these heathens come back with these idiots who just refuse to get vaccinated. We're gonna bring in private snuffy over here because he's got combat medic training close enough to doing the same thing as an OBGYN nurse. So yeah, come on in, let's get this done. And you're just going, wait, there's no way, no disrespect to our troops. I don't want that any more than I would want the registered nurse going to fight in a combat zone because it's it's a different skill set. I, I don't think that's a crazy notion to take. And if you think being a medic is at all the same thing as being a nurse, you don't understand either job. They're very, very different skill sets. Is there some overlap? Sure, but not as much as you would think. And again, think about how many different services are performed in a hospital. This is not a one size fits all. Nurses have specialties. My wife worked in critical care for pediatrics for 10 years. And I remember somebody asking her a question about adult dosing. And she said, honestly, I couldn't even give you an answer because I don't know the dosages off the top of my head. I know the pediatrics. I don't know much about adults. She's an RN, but she had a specialty. Now you're bringing in somebody who doesn't even have that background, that knowledge, that education, or that experience, and they're gonna come in and you're gonna be like, well, what do you think we should do here? And they're gonna go, yeah, 10 mLs, let's do this. Like, how insulting can you be to the entirety of this profession? This is insane to me. Well, so you briefly touched on something that I wanted to kind of call my shot here a little bit, because I believe that there will be a push within the next few weeks to allow there to be a reclassification of those who test positive for an antibody or a T cell or some kind of show of natural immunity, and they will be quantified as immunized and allowed back into the healthcare workforces. I do think that's coming. Thank God it should. There is no reason to keep these people kicked out. This is craziness. The idea that you never even wanted to do a B cell test or a T cell test or an antibody test, like, or have them come in with their positive COVID test. And for all you idiots that want to tell me like, well, it's not a guarantee. Neither is the vaccine. We're not saying one is a certainty or a guarantee. Welcome to life. There are very few certainties or guarantees. What I'm telling you is we know that the naturally acquired immunity is superior by every measurement to the vaccine. So I get it, it's not a guarantee, but neither is your vaccine. Somehow you're you're coercing people into getting the lesser of the two protections and not counting the greater. That should not make sense to anybody. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like that occurs on the other side of the of the apex and where I think we've reached the apex. So I think, I think that happens again, I, you know, I, I don't want to predict a timeline on it, but I think that happens before the end of the year for sure. And I think it's, it's only a matter of time. I mean, it's the, it's the literally the the easiest way for New York state to get out from underneath the, the, the pressure that they put on themselves is just to allow them back in and, and, and put them on the same scale as those who have, 
you know, the, the double shot or whatever, or the one J and J or whatever the, whatever the current, uh, quantification is just allow them to be on par with those people and boom problem. You know, I wouldn't say it's solved because a lot of those people were like, screw it. I'm done with this whole profession. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And not all of them are coming back, but there was a large faction of people who would come back because they loved what they did. They were good at it. And the only reason they're not doing what they were good at and what they loved is because the New York state said you had to kind of take a procedure. So, um, I do think there will be, I, th- I do think that's on our near horizon. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I will say on a, on a side plug, uh, note, but related to the governor Hochul, uh, I'm guessing that when Larry Sharp, who announced and, uh, he's going to run for governor of New York. So, uh, Sharp for gov, uh, 2022 here, shout out, um, I'm guessing he'll replace the Department of uh, Health Commissioner from whatever the picture is that I'm showing on the screen right now. Looks like something out of a horror story, but um, let, let's let's move on to uh, uh, more about the vaccine, if you will. Uh, so I saw this in NBC. So you know, not something I try to uh, promote here too much. CNBC actually, so one of the NBC families, but. Pfizer withdraws application for emergency use of its COVID-19 vaccine in India. Now, Mr. Hughesong, reading this article, India had the gall, as, it, as they would have it, they had the gall to ask for a local trial before they uh, approved this. They had a meeting with the Pfizer officials along with the Indian government. And in that meeting, right after that meeting, Pfizer pulled its request for the emergency youth authorization. And when asked... Uh, the India officials basically said, hey, we want to have a, a local uh, trial on uh, some uh, safety and efficacy of this vaccine. And lo and behold, as soon as they requested that, boom, Pfizer says, eh, we got enough money coming in elsewhere, so we don't need India. Uh, so again, I feel like these are all, this is all stuff that happens on the other side of the apex. And I think we're on the other side of the apex. And um, this is not great news, don't get me wrong, because it basically kind of shows on top of some other stories we talked about hiding data and whatnot, that this thing never should have been approved to begin with. And that if given any kind of scrutiny would have shown that. And obviously we gave it no scrutiny here in the U S or anywhere else in the world. Um, yet hundreds of millions of people have been exposed to this thing. So, um, good for India. For sure. Good for India. And, I'm not telling you that the vaccine is useless. I'm not telling you it's killing people. I'm not telling you it's poison. I'm not claiming any of that. I am claiming we do not have good data on the efficacy nor the safety of any of these vaccines. What I tell you is not a great sign is when you go to a country with a population the size of India's. Now, let's be clear, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of money if you can sell your vaccine in this country. And it's a country that has a high tendency towards trusting doctors and medical professionals. They have a very good infrastructure built up in that regard. I'm not trying to stereotype that's legitimate. I'm not making an Indian doctor joke here. I'm just saying they they do have that tendency. So in that case, they came in and just said, hey, guys, we got all this data. It's all over the world. Trust us. We ran our own trials. And the Indian government, to their credit, went, yeah, but we still want to do our own. That's just the way we do things here. We want to run our own trial just to verify your information. And Pfizer went, listen, it's everywhere. Come on, we got all these trials. You can see all of it. It's right here in black and white, safe and effective. We know for a fact because we've been doing it all over the world. And the Indian government went, sure, sure. But again, we, just a small trial. We just want to do something to, to verify that it is you know, good with our people. And Pfizer went, nah, 
never mind. If you're going to go and try to verify this data for your own, then it's just not worth the potential $400 billion windfall that we would get by having an approved vaccine in your country. So see ya. We're going we're gonna to take our ball and go home. That, in my humble, uninformed, uneducated opinion, would be a red flag. Like, hey, you were so unconfident in your own vaccine, you wouldn't allow it to be subjected to just a, a small trial that they could look at and then just be- – you gave up $400 you know, billion profit streams because you didn't want anybody else looking at your product? What other product can you ever think of where the manufacturer would do that and you would go, you know what I need is a fourth one. Let's go. And this is also on the heels of them removing their request for the emergency youth authorization for the kids, right? So like this is a second time where they basically said only because they didn't have the data to back it up. So basically this is going back into the thing. So before we leave India, do you want to talk, because we talked about uh, ivermectin in, uh, was it Uttar Pradesh? Was that the province in India and how uh, they had uh, great success using that? Uh, it seemed as though, um, but you had uh, come across uh, Alexandrios Alexandros Marianos, uh, a uh, Twitter thread about the study that was recently released um, about ivermectin. Um, I think I can pull that up here. Yeah, here it is. Um, a JAMA uh, thread. Um, I'm just going to read his tweet and then I'll let you kind of uh, elaborate a little bit on what you want to touch on here. So uh, his, his question is what went wrong with the recent iTech ivermectin study published in JAMA? So basically he's, this is a breakdown of what he think went wrong in that study. Um, and in brief, uh, I'll read this tweet and then I'll let you go along. He says, in brief, the study design was such that any other antiviral such as uh, Paxlovid or um, Monlupiravir, those are the two, uh, um, prescription-based antivirals uh, made by our lovely pharmaceutical companies. Um, but his, his suggestion here is, in brief, the study design was such that any other antiviral uh, would have also failed, and this is why. So he goes through this breakdown, and uh, I don't know, Mr. Hughesong, you wanna, we've touched on ivermectin a few times here. Those are the two videos that got us removed from YouTube. So let's have at it again. Uh, what do we think about ivermectin and uh, this study in particular? Uh, as for ivermectin, I would say the data is still inconclusive, but there is some reason to believe there is at least some efficacy. Now, this study is being cited as this well-done huge trial that has good data so we can finally put this issue to, de- to bed. Here's the problem. Same thing as we've been having with problems and why we don't have good ivermectin data from any um, traditionally reliable source, CDC or, or any of these organizations that we would have traditionally looked to. They keep setting up the trial to fail. So essentially what you have is it's an average of five days after symptom onset that you're starting ivermectin. Number one, that's really late. All right. That's not great. It's not as useless as the 15 day delay that they were initially trying when CDC tried to discredit ivermectin, but it's still not ideal. And the primary endpoint is triggered three days after the start of treatment. So you're going five days after onset to start the treatment, and then you're three days of treatment. Now, for a lot of these people, what that means is you're not going to finish the treatment. You're never going to finish it. So that should, number one, be a, a red flag of, wait, if you're really trying to find out the truth, wouldn't you want when everybody gets the full treatment and you started it as early as possible? So you didn't need a set date. As early as possible when you try it, let's see what we can find, and then other people don't get it. 
it, we have a blind, a double blind study. Um, there's no drug that you could show efficacy for if this is how you set it up. You start it late and then you have an endpoint before the completion of treatment. And then you study that as your, okay, see, it doesn't work. So this is where people are growing more and more skeptical. We talked about the red flag before. This is a red flag to me of, you're not dumb people. There's no way this is on accident. There's no way this is a mistake. If it was a mistake, you'd stop making the exact same three mistakes over and over again. You just keep massaging this to reach a, um, what's the right way of saying this? Predetermined conclusion. You're not out to find out if ivermectin works. You're out to show that it doesn't. And that's not good. When you start using conclusion to build the facts, that's the opposite. We're supposed to use facts to build the conclusion. And when we do the opposite, that's not good. They also used a very, it, the definition of severe disease is inaccurate. So that threw off the numbers. I'm not going to bore you with that one because that one gets a little bit wordy and a little bit boring. But let's just suffice to say, they, they did some very minor but significant changes to how it is defined as a severe disease, not like just use hospitalizations. That would have been an easy one. But it was the doctor's opinion where oxygen may be required in response. Like, well, wait, then you're bringing in human error, and that could easily be swayed, especially because this was not actually a blind trial. This was people knew. This was an open trial where you're testing ivermectin, and that's going to skew any doctor's opinion. I'm sorry, but they're not superhuman. They're, they're one of us. So that all goes that direction. And then also they only based it on severe disease and no mortality. And if you just look at the, um, the trial wings, the placebo group and the ivermectin group, the ivermectin group had a significantly, I don't know if it was statistically relevant, but it was a noticeable drop in mortality compared to the control arm. Now that's not good enough data that you can conclude that it's, it's working. It's not because it wasn't designed to find that. So my question that I keep referring back to is, why don't we run a trial that asks that question? When you give ivermectin as soon as possible after either symptoms or a positive COVID test, either one, if, as soon as you take it, as soon as you know you have COVID, and I know this would be a crazy idea, but maybe we could do it where we define a positive COVID test as a PCR test that is run to 28 cycles. And if you test positive at 28, 28 cycles or below, you get ivermectin, and then the control arm doesn't. And then let's see what happens 15 days later. And I know this is another crazy idea, but let's make the endpoint just be mortality. Let's keep it nice and simple. Not severe disease, not who needs oxygen in the opinion of the doctor, not day six and it equals this is severe disease. No, no, no. Let's keep it simple. Mortality. At the end of that time period, and we go for as long as you want, and we'll get as many people enrolled as you want, let's see if there is a noticeable drop in mortality. That should be the endpoint we all want in this, is does it save lives? And if it's clear, great. If it's still murky, that's okay. But let's get an answer. Let's stop pussyfooting around this, and let's stop pretending like we have conclusive data. In my, again, uneducated, humble opinion, the data indicating that there's at least some benefit to ivermectin significantly outweighs the evidence that it's useless. That doesn't mean I'm right. It just means as of right now with the data I'm looking at and the, the way the trials are conducted, that's the conclusion I can draw. Does that mean I'm right? No, but I really want this trial because I don't know if ivermectin works. I think it does, but I don't know that. Why after two years do we not have that trial? We're gonna give it as soon as possible based on this PCR threshold. And then at this point, we're just gonna look at mortality all cause mortality. I don't care. You could do mortality of with COVID whatever after 31 days. Like let's get that trial run 
and let's get a conclusion. What is so crazy about that? Well, I think this brings us back to what we've been kind of talking about for two years here. There's been a concerted effort to make sure that the virus was as scary as possible and that the one and only cure was going to be the vaccine. And I think the last couple of stories we touched on can piggyback into this one is the lack of credibility in these institutions. So we talked about Pfizer basically pulling their uh, drug when the least amount of scrutiny is, is, is presented to them. They're like, no, we're out. Um, we have this study that is, and this is not the only one, that is clearly presented in a way to set up so that there can be no competition, if you will, for the vaccine. It's set up to fail. And then we have the CDC, Mr. Hughesong, admitting that they're not publishing data. So they're hiding data from the public. And for what reasons? The reasons are basically because their data is going to help out the case for the anti-vaxxers. So what kind of data are they hiding if they're worried that their data is going to be, quote unquote, misrepresented by anti-vaxxers? This is something that I just saw in the New York Times. Uh, I tried to pull up that article. I got blocked again today from reading it. So like, I don't have a subscription there. I got to read it, though. Um, where they basically quote, the, what is it, the, uh, the spokesman for the CDC, I think uh, Kristen Nord Nordland. Let me read this to you, and then you, I'll get your comment. So Kristen Nordland, spokesman for the CDC, said the agency has been slow to release the different streams of data because basically at the end of the day, this is a quote, basically because at the end of the day, it's not ready for prime time. She said the agency's priority when gathering any data is to ensure that it's accurate and actionable. Another reason is fear that information might be misrepresented. Um, so what does not ready for prime time or uh, this data will make us look bad uh, kind of code? Uh, what, what do you make of the uh, now uh, revelation here that the CDC has not has had this data? Not only has they had it, but they've had it and then not published it because, I don't know, it was going to get in the, the wrong hands, the terrible heathens they are, the public. I feel like maybe when I was pointing this out months ago that there's no way that they don't have this data and the fact that they're not releasing it is crazy and there's no way the data they were releasing specifically around booster shots was going to check out and I got called a conspiracy theorist and a nut job and an anti-vaxxer some of y'all owe me an apology all right let's let's just be clear because there was no way that that data was accurate and it was very obvious from the get-go again my un uneducated uninformed conspiratorial opinion but it seemed pretty obvious that this was the way it was going. Um, also, you remember the, the movie Dumb and Dumber? I'm in a movie reference mode today where they said he objects to the case. And they're like, on what grounds? He's like, because it's damning to my case. Like, that's exactly what we just got from the CDC. Like, well, why'd you not release the data? Well, it really undercut the vaccine efficacy. So we just didn't, didn't tell people. I, I don't think that's how science is supposed to work. Like, I, I don't... I didn't know that you were supposed to pick and choose what data you presented, and then that way you could get people on board. That seems wrong. And listen, everything else aside, what should trouble every single human being in this country about CDC and put to rest any notion that they are an apolitical arbiter of scientific information and data is I'm going to read this directly from the article. When the CDC published the first significant data on the effectiveness of boosters in adults younger than 65 two weeks ago, it left 
out the numbers for a huge portion of that population, 18 to 49-year-olds, the group least likely to benefit from extra shots because in there were the first two doses already left them well-protected. So that line's bullshit, but that aside, let's just look at the, the, the real meat and potatoes of this. They said, we're going to look at booster shots for adults. They didn't look at kids at this point. This was, we got, we got data on the people under 65 and they left out everybody 18 to 49. So when they said under 65, what they actually meant was 50 to 64. And they came out and said 18, to, yeah, adults, it makes sense. Like, guys, this is, this is lying. This is flat out misrepresenting data. Now, if you want to end up really uncomfortable and super uneasy, start asking yourself why. Well, why would they do this? Well, because they wanted to not make anybody feel like they shouldn't get vaccinated or boosted. Okay, but why would they want that? Well, they want everybody vaccinated and boosted. Why? Well, because it's the protections coming. No, it's not. They, their own data undercuts that notion, which is why they left it out. Because if you saw the data, you would realize there's no benefit to getting boosted for 18 to 49-year-olds. So why did they tell you to get boosted? Why did they tell everybody under 65? Why did they approve boosters for teenagers? Why are they allowing this to go on? Why are they not only allowing it, but actively encouraging this to go on? Because now you're going to get into some uncomfortable answers. That's the only thing I can tell you with absolute certainty. Why is there a FDA fully approved vaccine that you can't get in America? That seems troubling. Why? are they going forward with all of this? Why do they keep lying about the risk to your children? Why do they keep approving, even though the panel of experts said, you know what, boosters make sense. If you're under 65, only if you have medical conditions. And the CDC or FDA turned that into, well, anybody that's at an increased risk of exposure, any like school teachers, even though we know for sure that's not true, they, they were eligible, and they basically turned it into, ah, you know what, if you're overweight, you can get it too. Like, oh, okay, that's only 80% of America. That's awesome. Way to go, guys. So basically everybody over the age of 18 was allowed, and then they came out and said, look at all this data that says we were right. And you're like, oh, see, I guess they were right. But then it turns out that in this span, they're covering the age years of 40 years roughly, 43 or whatever. And they left out 30 of the years and said, yeah, this is good for everybody. Like, this is mind-blowing. And the idea that they said it because, well, it could be uh, it could be used to increase vaccine hesitancy. I got this crazy idea. This might get us kicked off Rumble. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe there are some people that should be vaccine hesitant. Maybe the fact that you keep lying about the risks and you keep trying to call myocarditis mild Maybe that shows you're not a genuine scientist that's just trying to uncover the truth. I don't know what you are. I don't know what the end game is. I know this is wrong. I know there is no reason to trust you at all because just like CNN and Fox and every other news channel, you have demonstrated who you are and at every opportunity when given the, op when given the chance to come through with true objective data, you pass. You let that moment go right by and you go right into the censorship, guilt trip, manipulation, and outright covering up of data so that people cannot make informed decisions. I cannot comprehend this level of sociopathy 
Is that the right way of saying that? I think that's right. I don't know. You're sociopaths. How's that? Because this is insane, and your indifference to human life is so cold-blooded that I cannot wrap my brain around it. You are lying to people to get them to take a medicine. Why? I, I don't have an answer. I don't know if you have an answer, Sean, but it seems an awful lot like all the people that have been warning us for 30 years about big pharma might have been onto something, and we probably should have learned this lesson already. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Hughesong, I don't know if you're aware, but the reason why is to minimize severe risk and health uh, of yourself by taking the vaccine. That is why you're supposed to take the vaccine. Isn't that true? Doesn't the, doesn't the data tell us that the vaccine keeps serious uh, uh, health uh, uh, symptoms to a minimum and keep you out of the hospital and keep you from dying. Isn't that in fact, uh, what we've been told and isn't that in fact, uh, proven by the data? You know, it's not, we, we just, this is the example of if you just say something often enough, people will believe it and regurgitate it and repeat it. But I'm going to turn everybody to Nick Hudson, who's got a Great Twitter thread on this exact subject that we were discussing earlier. I just pulled it up for everybody at home paying attention. So I have uh, Mr. Hudson's uh, thread here. Go, Mr. Hughesong. All right. So essentially, the, the trials themselves from Pfizer and from Moderna were not meant to study. Didn't, they didn't set it up to answer the question of, does the vaccine stop hospitalizations and deaths? That was never the, the, what the study was designed to measure. The study was designed to measure does this stop you from getting symptomatic COVID? Now, they didn't label it that way. They said, well, it'll stop you from getting COVID. But their definition of COVID was a positive PCR test with at least one primary symptom or two secondary symptoms or some combination thereof. So if they didn't study it, then we don't have it as, as an RCT, at least. We have observational studies, which is we've just talked about with ivermectin, is if you only have an observational study, there's some evidence you could, or there's some conclusions you could draw from that but not final. They, they can only be temporary until we have better data. So we already nixed the RCT that they, the drug trials did because, well, we vaccinated the control group, so we're never going to have that information. Awesome job, scientists. Way to go. Um, but the idea that you could, when they came out and said, well, it also looks like this will stop you from spreading it. There was never any reason to believe that. It was, it was completely wrong. So if all we have is this, then that's bad because there was, uh, what was the exact number? Out of the entire vaccine trial, there was only about 700 people out of 40,000 or like 1,000 out of 40,000 that got the two groups. And then we found out that a lot of these people were removed for protocol whatever, they had symptoms, but they just didn't test. So if there's 700 people that had symptoms but were never tested, that is, again, undercutting the data that we know for sure that they're effective, overwhelming evidence. We have evidence manipulated from, from a pharmaceutical company. And if you think that's insane, I'm going to invite you to look back at pretty much any instance of a new drug hitting the market from pharmaceutical companies. I assure you, you'll find the same exact pattern. I don't know why we're so surprised they're doing it again. I, like, I just, I, I don't understand how anybody at this point is not immediately skeptical and asking for complete verification at every step of this. Um, this is, this is so over the top that they're doing this and they, they like, the FDA asked, hey, can we get this endpoint data from you? And they went, no, 
Like, okay, thanks. Like, you're not overseeing these people anymore. And then the best part was Pfizer's got a disclaimer on there of we make no warrant, no claim that this is either effective or safe. And the federal government was like, look good to you? Yeah, it looks good to me too. Sign it. Let's give this thing to everybody. Like, you can't even get this company to go on a record and be like, hey, we did all this research, all this data, and we're pretty sure it is, and we warrant that it's at least effective, even if there's going to be it. Um, that's not right, that they don't have this. So if you're going to hold off-label treatments to this absurd standard of we need RCT data or nothing, but then all you're willing to look at is observational studies of, well, I got COVID right after I got my second shot, but I didn't have it that bad, so I'm sure it was because I got vaccinated that my symptoms weren't bad. Mm. Or it's because you're 18 and in perfectly fine health and it wasn't going to be that bad anyway. And the two days that you got laid up because of your vaccine shot didn't need to happen because it did nothing for you. So the other reason that was really wrong with the trial is when you define COVID, or excuse me, you define vaccinated as post-second shot plus 14 days. That that's not how we collect data. Like, no, you, you look at the full treatment window. So it should be from the moment you get your second shot, you're vaccinated because you got treated. So now go on about your life. But here's the problem. They know that there's a window of time, roughly 14 days, where you are more likely to get COVID. It's just reality. I'm sorry. But now as more data comes out, they're manipulating it. They're just covering this data up and acting as though we have all this overwhelming data. Seriously, anybody out there listening, please produce the randomized controlled trial that demonstrates these are actually effective at preventing mortality and deaths in COVID. If you have it, I'm, I'm happy to read it. But I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to read it. And the odds are exceedingly strong that what you're sharing is bullshit is utter nonsense produced by a pharmaceutical company to sell a product the same way that they went around for 20 goddamn years claiming that Oxycontin and other drugs like it were only 1% to 2% of people got addicted. Less than 1%. That was the number they kept stating. Less than 1% of people who take these opioids ever get addicted. And it wasn't even done in a trial. They just took some observation from hospitalized, from hospitalized patients in one hospital under the strictest controls known to man said less than 1% got affected. So we can extrapolate that out to everybody, obviously, because that's the same thing. And then this is my problem. I'm sorry, I'm, on, I'm just ranting at this point, but this is the problem. Guess what happened that actually caused the opioid crisis? It wasn't that people were buying it over the counter, not prescribed by doctors, okay? So the idea that just because you're a doctor, you get to know more and you're better informed is nonsense. The opioid epidemic could not have happened without doctors. It couldn't have. You needed to prescribe the drug and you went to their little pain clinics out in Arizona and you got all this educational material that was skewed and you never asked a question. And then in light of non-medical, non-RCT data that should have been red flags, like, hey, it's a regular occurrence now that people are robbing pharmacies, they're leaving every other drug, they're leaving the cash, and they're just taking Oxycontin. This should be a red flag that maybe we're missing something on the addictive nature of it. And they went, no. Well, okay, I guess that's that then. And that was the extent of it. And this went on for over a decade of them denying that there was this problem. This is the FDA settling with them on, um, yeah, could you just give them a warning that it, it sometimes might be addictive? Okay, we're done here. Good job, everybody. We can go home. Like, I, 
what will it take for you people to stop trusting these sociopaths? I don't understand whatsoever. What have they done to earn this trust? I, I have to know. Between politicians and pharmaceutical companies, I, like it, it's who would you trust less than that? I, maybe defense contractors, but I got nothing. Like I, I genuinely don't know how we keep falling for this. And then they say overwhelming data, and it's well accepted and obvious now. And you go, well, show me the, this data. And they show you the data, and you read it, and you go, you can't draw these conclusions from this. This is crazy. And then you're like, all right, Robert Kennedy Jr., you anti-vaxer. Like, well, give me good data then. Let's run an RCT. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We did run an RCT. No, no, no. Let somebody else do it who doesn't have a financial interest in the outcome of it. Let's let India's government run an RCT for it, and let's find out. Ah, uh, you know what? Screw you. I'm taking my ball and going home. And they left. And nobody's going, um, pause. That's a red flag. Why would they not want to run an RCT if they're this confident that it is safe and effective? Because the RCT would actually be set up to test the claims they're making, which are, is it actually effective against severe illness, hospitalization, and deaths? Because we know it doesn't stop you from getting it, so there's no point in testing that, even though that's what the first trial tested and they concluded yes. Everything else is observational studies. Sorry, that's not good enough for where we are right now. And when given the opportunity to present it by an impartial third party to test it, India has no vested interest in this thing failing. None. They have no vested interest either way. If it works, great, they'll buy all of it and give it to their people. If it doesn't, great, we'll just keep going with what we got. And as soon as that came up, these companies said, never mind. And they... They took their ball and left India. Again, this is not a small market. This was not a small opportunity for financial gain. This was huge. And they have so little confidence in their product that they wouldn't allow it to be tested. But you're going to go to bat for them, and you, you're going to sign up for boosters for life, and you're going to besmirch, belittle, and dismiss anybody that goes, hey, wait, I don't think this is a good idea. You might want to question some things because this seems a little off to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well... So we just basically laid out a crumbling vaccine narrative where we have New York pulling the booster because there's not enough demand or there's too much pushback against it. We have this, as you just reiterated, the India uh, just asking for a small local trial to kind of confirm uh, uh, the safety and efficacy of, of a vaccine. And we still have, uh, and you talked about what the doctors implementing in your uh, opioid base, you said it couldn't have happened without the doctors, but you know what else couldn't happen without uh, uh, the role of law enforcement is what is happening up in Canada, Mr. Hughesong. Um, they are sticking by their guns with this vaccine mandate, even in clear opposition from a very large fringe, small, whatever the uh, words are all different these days. So uh, whatever adjectives you'd like to use to describe the protest there in Ottawa, the capital of Canada, um, Officers and uh, the not military, they made sure it wasn't the military, even though they would basically just slap police stickers over the military uh, emblem on the vehicles and rolled them in there and uh, took over the uh, uh, protest and has largely broken apart the protest in the Capitol. Um, several people have been arrested, uh, including the organizers. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on specifically, which seemed to uh, strike with me a little bit, was this freezing of bank accounts and assets, um, which 
if you guys, so basically they were crowd crowdfunding for resources and funds for the truckers and the Canadian government, basically with the help of their national financial institutions, froze all these accounts. And basically um, anybody who was donated to the campaign or was receiving funds basically had their bank accounts frozen and their assets seized by the, by the government. So, and now Canada decided they did that so good that they're going to keep it. They're like, yeah, we might make this permanent. Um, so I want to equate this a little bit to the 9-11 and January 6th stuff that we've talked about in the past where Canada seems to be basically doing the same thing where they've labeled this protest as some kind of national threat and are now using it to implement new draconian authoritarian regulations on its people um, because, as you know, Mr. Hughesong, you can never let a crisis go to waste. So here we are in uh, Canada. Uh, they are not letting this crisis, quote-unquote, crisis go to waste. They are uh, in full-bore uh, draconian authoritarian rule. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't know. Let's wrap this up by talking about the, uh, the uh, Trudeau trampling the truckers. And Maybe you saw the video of the horses uh, trampling that one old lady. I, you see, after the fact, she was actually, uh, I don't know, like 70 years old. She was like a, a member of the Mohawk Nation. So uh, apparently all those white supremacist uh, ideas that were, you know, they were bounce houses, bounce houses full of uh, KKK members um, was not necessarily all that true. But so let's talk about the truckers, how they broke up that, that, uh, protest there in Ottawa. Um, talk about any of the videos that you saw coming out over the weekend. Uh, talk about the financial uh, freezing of assets there, if you will. Talk about a potential DC trucker convoy. I heard the Capitol Police has uh, rescinded all uh, like time off leave, so uh, there's nobody who is allowed to uh, take any vacation uh, because they're expecting something. I guess anyway. So says the quote unquote press. So anyway, what do you make of all that, Mr. Hughesong? As for the Capitol Police, at least they're doing something to prepare for this one. That's it's a, it's a learning moment for them, and they took advantage of it. I'm kind of proud of them. Um, so I guess, first off, the, the protests up in Canada, uh, the bringing in the horses, and when you trample a 78-year-old indigenous woman during what was legitimately a peaceful protest, it's a bad look. It's just, it, it's not great. And and the idea that you're going around and trying to find all these financial ties of everybody who donated $40 to the COVID trucker convoy, come on, you're not going after dark money or, or special interests from Russia or China. You're, you're going at people that can't protect themselves. You're a bully. You are just flat out going after people that cannot defend themselves. You're not going after the people that, even if you believe this is all funded by alt-right militia members from America along with Vladimir Putin and Chairman Xi. Okay, well, find those connections. Don't go after the poor, like, this poor coffee shop owner in Ottawa who donated $40 to support and you want to go shut her business down. You're an asshole, truly. And, and listen, I think the best thing that came out of this entire situation is the uh, Trudeau is Castro's son memes. I don't know why, but I find them to be hilarious because the, the resemblance is there especially when he's in blackface, which has happened more often than any of us should be comfortable with. But that aside, I I look at this and just think, this is horrible. Like, these people aren't trying to make anybody else change their life. All they want is to not be forced to take an experimental jab that is being rammed down their throats despite very little, if any, evidence of benefit to them. This is not 
a ridiculous position. And so now they're going out. Now, they're not burning buildings down. They're not defacing anything. They're not attacking people. Yes, they are interrupting the economy. It's almost like that's how a protest is supposed to work. You're not supposed to go fight with the cops or tear things down or attack civilians. You're just supposed to disrupt society. They couldn't be doing this protest any better. Is there some violence? Of course, it's a protest. There's going to be some. But it's minimal. Like, And now for the go Canadian government to come in at this level, this is you should be afraid. I, everybody in Canada should this should make you very nervous. And I am very nervous about how this is going to go in America because our, our law enforcement has not shown much indication to be um, less. What's the right word here? Trampling. Let's go with trampling in the midst of the right. And listen, I, I don't mean to, I, I mean, no denigration or disrespect to any individual police officer. I have uh, more friends than I can count who are police officers. And for the most part, they're, they're really good people just trying to do their job and go home. Like that's, that is the, the theme that I see. But the reality is you're put in this untenable position where you're being asked if you're out there to like break up a peaceful trucker protest, you're, you're not, you're not really helping the people. You are on the side of what are unjust laws and, and what is a, Okay, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you're going to do. You're in a tough spot, and I won't pretend like you're not. But these laws are horrible. Like, the idea that you should be able to make anybody take a, a an experimental medication with this limited amount of data on it is uh, insane. The idea that you should be able to force anybody to take medicine, no matter how well-researched and how beneficial it is, is devoid of any logic. Like we live in the land of the free for a reason. I don't care if you're talking about a insulin for a diabetic. We don't mandate diabetics take insulin. We just don't. Like we don't we don't mandate that people not smoke even though we know it kills them. We don't mandate that people exercise even though obesity is the largest killer of Americans in the world. And it's gonna take up more healthcare beds and more hospital beds and prevent these car crash victims from getting theirs. Yeah, no, obesity is still a bigger problem, sorry. So the vaccine doesn't stop you from spreading it and we don't really know what it does do. There is no reason for this, and you don't have the right to make these rules. So the people found a way to protest, make their voices heard, and you, Canada keeping these financial measures in place, this is like, I remember hearing Glenn Beck talk about the Build Back Better thing like two years ago, and I was like, man, Glenn Beck lost his mind. This dude went off the reservation. I don't know where the heck he's getting all this from. And now I hear these people from Canada come out and be like, yeah, we're not giving back the ability to track your finances and just shut it off if we feel like it. And I was like, hmm, God, I hate it when the conspiracy theorists start to be right. This is not good. And here's the, I guess, the flip side of that. If you think this can't happen in America just because we're America, uh, recent history is is void of any any indication that that's true. I mean, January 6th happened, and I don't get me wrong, it was it was idiotic, it was stupid, it was it was horrible. But the idea that there's still like 30 people sitting in jail, not having faced trial yet without the possibility of bail, that that is un-American. That, that goes in direct defiance of everything having to do with your constitutional rights. The fact that the government freely spies on all of us and collects data and information on us and, and literally listens to our phone calls without a warrant is a direct violation of the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Um, the, this is not okay. Like this is, this is crazy. And my fear is the American protest will not, not go as smoothly as the Indian protests. Number one, cause we're not as like nice people as Canadians. I don't think that's a crazy statement to make. 
And number two, if you think there's not going to be like some Ray Epps at all joining joining this fight um, and, and joining the protesters and, and about 30 FBI informants for every protester, I, I don't think you've been paying attention recently. So that will, again, be instigation, and that's going to cause a turnaround and a crackdown. And I, this will be my last movie reference for the day. V for Vendetta. When that cop, like, they asked him, like, what's going to happen? He goes, it's inevitable now. They're going to go. The government's going to do something to overreact, and the people are going to overreact, and the government's going to overreact, and we can't stop it at this point. That's my fear right now is you are inviting such a powder keg of uh, of bad outcomes all at once that I, I don't know how this ends well. I, I just I don't see it right now. Maybe I'm crazy. Give me some reason for optimism, Sean. Come on, pick me up. Uh, I already called for a collapse earlier in the show. I'm not really sure how that's optimistic other than I called for a peaceful collapse uh, earlier in the show. Um, I don't know. Let me, let me quote uh, the Canadian uh, uh, spokesman here. Uh, we've touched on this last week because remember Trudeau, uh, for the first time in its country's history, invoked some like emergency, uh, what do they call it, the Emergencies Act. Uh, so this is basically a quote from them, which I found very government-esque. We used all the tools that we had prior to the invocation of the Emergencies Act, and we determined that we needed some additional tools, right? So they had the laws in place, and they were keeping them from doing what they wanted to do. So they had to remove the laws in place. Shocking. So uh, I'll finish up this quote. Some of these tools we will be putting forward, uh, some of these some of those tools we will be putting forward measures to put those tools permanently in place. This is uh, the authorities of FinTrack. I believe do need to be expanded to cover crowdsourcing platforms and payment platforms. So basically this is, as you point out, small business owners who are basically taking PayPal, Square, whatever the uh, uh, payment software that they're using and being allowed to have access to that, specifically have the ability to freeze and seize funds from those accounts. So literally the worst case scenario. Uh, some of this started on the heels of Bitcoin. I did see some people posting uh, who were, I don't know if they were anti-Bitcoin folks, but they basically said, I see the Canadian issue has kind of brought a scenario at, at which I could see where Bitcoin serves a purpose, which is basically these private, you know, peer-to-peer -peer transactions that can, that out, that happen outside of fiat, right? So, if those transactions can occur, Bitcoin serves a purpose as long as that that Bitcoin can still be, uh, you know, used to, in, in a future transaction. So I don't know. I don't know if Bitcoin fixes this, but uh, people are looking at uh, Bitcoin as a potential fix anyway. So um, any more trucker talk? Uh, anything else about any of the topics that we uh, might have missed uh, that you wanted to kind of retouch on before we uh, let the folks go uh, about their day? Um, yeah, anytime the government tries to convince you that something is because of white supremacy, you should automatically be skeptical. I'm pretty sure there are fewer white supremacists in this country than there are CNN viewers, and that's saying something. Doesn't mean there's no racism. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But actual, devout, avowed white supremacists, there's not many. So as soon as the government tries to tell you that it's because of Nazis, th like think about your everyday life. Have you ever come across an actual neo-Nazi or white supremacist? Somebody that, like, don't get me wrong, I have. But it's super, super rare. So do you think it's more likely that there's actually this many white supremacists or that the government is using this as an excuse to justify whatever measures? Because here's the simple reality. 
if I tell you, look, we've got to strip away some rights to stop these protesters, you're like, hey, wait. If I tell you we've got to strip away these rights so that we can stop white supremacists and neo-Nazis, you're like, okay, this is just this is justified. So immediately pause as soon as you hear anybody saying that because the the threat of white supremacy far exceeds the actual number of white supremacists that exist in this country. If they had a rally with every one of them in the country, it wouldn't be even noticed by by most most news organizations because there's just not enough of them, which is a good thing. It's wonderful that we're moving in that direction. We shouldn't be mad about that. That's terrific. But not everything that you don't like is a Nazi. Let's just, just start with that. So automatically be skeptical of the government as soon as they say something is to fight off these white supremacists that are just trying to not get a medicine forced upon them. It's not white supremacy. It used to be called common sense that you wouldn't want this, and especially because the highest rates of vaccine hesitancy do tend to occur in the black community. The idea that this is based on white supremacy should be laughed at. Stop listening to them. That's really all I got. Okay. I'm going to leave the folks with something today. So I stumbled across this. Do you guys know what this is? The Berenstain Bears? Are you guys familiar with the uh, the supposed Mandela effect of the Berenstain Bears? That Actually, everybody remembers this as the Berenstain Bears, but not the Berenstain Bears. But this looks old, this book. So I think it's OG, Berenstain. You know what I also noticed? I don't know if I ever knew this. The authors, their last name is Berenstain. So, I mean... I don't know, to all the uh, Mandela effect folks out there, uh, I just found this, stumbled across this, and wanted to kind of bring it to everybody's attention that I think actually was Berenstain Bears. So there's that. Can you elaborate on this? Because I'm super Are you familiar with the Mandela effect at all? I mean, sure, but I don't know. How does it relate to the Berenstain so Bears? So one of the Mandela effects, and if you guys don't know, the Mandela effect is uh, um, when Mandela died, I guess, people had thought, wait, I thought he already died, right? So they were, they were trying to basically, there was this uh, alternative reality where Mandela had already died amongst a bunch of people who had already thought this. And some of these uh, additional uh, features was, uh, I don't know, the one I always bring up is uh, that Sinbad was in a movie, Shazam, I think was it's called. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, but it was Shaquille O'Neal. No, no, this, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't the Shaquille O'Neal one. It was Sinbad before that, like way in the 80s. Do you know who Sinbad is? No, I don't remember that. Do you know who Sinbad is? I mean, of course. Okay, well, there's this theory that he was in a movie. I believe that I saw the movie as a kid, but apparently the movie doesn't exist. Oh, there you go. So that is the Mandela effect. So back to the Berenstain Bears. It was long thought it was the Berenstain Bears, not the Berenstain Bears. So all these people think that they're, wait, they're being tricked into the changing of the name or they have this complete different reality of what actually occurred. So I don't know. I just stumbled across it and thought it was interesting, but apparently it was far too interesting for you. Uh, I am 100% sure that it was the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> I'm so creeped out right now that I don't have one. Oh, so you think it was the Berenstein Bears? I'm like, nah, I have no doubt. When you said Berenstain Bears, I was like, what is this, a knockoff? No, so, so right, so there you go. So you're literally living through the Mandela effect. You have millions of other folks who think just like you, Mr. Hughesong, that it was the Berenstain Bears. I probably was one of them, only that I just, I'm aware of the, con, you know, the quote-unquote controversy around it. But I happened to stumble across this and wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. Because the book looks old, so it's not like it was a, a recent uh, fabrication to kind of, debunk the Berenstain theory. So it's OG. I don't know. I figured it would be interesting.
I guess not. <laughs> so yeah, uh, maybe if I find something on the uh, Berenstein Berenstein uh, Mandel effect, I'll send it to you. But that's that's the gist of why I brought it up. Okay. Alrighty. On that note, share the show, everyone. Like us, share us. Uh, if you're listening to us uh, in the car, in the home, uh, or on the iPod, or whatever you are, uh, take a moment when you're done to leave us a five star rate and review. Uh, but sharing and liking. Uh, these videos uh, will help us uh, kind of reestablish ourselves here in the, uh, the uh, social media platforms after being banned on YouTube and Facebook. So um, remember, reminder, no show next Monday. I will be traveling, so I apologize. Then back in studio for the following Monday, we'll be interested to uh, uh, compare my tan to Mr. Hughesong. I don't get tan. I'm basically clear and red. I pop in between the two. So all right, on that note, Let me leave everybody for a week and uh, we thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you all again next Monday.